Welcome to Cure Chronic, a place where we have deep conversations and hear amazing stories about chronic disease and more. Here's your host, Becky Gale. Aloha. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so excited to announce another really special guest this week coming all the way from England. This is Anna. And let me tell you, she has a really interesting story. She has a PhD. She's been all around the world, but I'll let her tell her story. Welcome, Anna. So I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 25. So I'm 36 now. So I've been living with a diagnosis for, it's been actually, no, I must've been 26 then because I was diagnosed in 2010. Um, And that was after several misdiagnoses. Um, I started displaying symptoms of lupus quite badly when I was 20. I had a boyfriend dump me and I was devastated. And, uh, I also had a really bad bladder infection at the time, but it just, it wasn't going away. The bladder infection, um, it kept coming back and coming back worse. And I kept having to take stronger and stronger, um, antibiotics. And so I do have lots of issues with my bladder and it's kind of not known if that is correlated to my lupus or not, if it's like two separate things or one thing altogether. Um, So during that time, I had all these issues with my bladder and I had issues with chronic fatigue. Um, Fatigue was like my biggest issue. Uh, I could sleep for, I think one time I slept for 23 hours without taking any medication. And I was told over and over again that I had chronic fatigue syndrome. You just have just quote unquote just because obviously that's a huge thing in itself but it was you just have chronic fatigue syndrome you're just quote unquote just depressed or whatever um so this went on for quite a long time um i managed to finish college uh, or university i didn't think that i would be able to but i managed to push through and find accommodation and finish um and then i started to feel a bit better and i went to study abroad in France. And during that time, I was able to complete a program. Um, and I then after that, I went to New York City to do a master's degree, which I was also able to finish. But while I was in New York City, I was diagnosed first with mixed connective tissue disease. Um, and then I was diagnosed with lupus while I was still living there, I think in 2010. And it it took a while to be diagnosed with lupus because a lot of people, when they have lupus, they have, um, it shows up in their blood first, and then it shows up in terms of symptoms. But for me, it was like a a long progression of symptoms before it showed up in my blood. Um, So a lot of doctors will just kind of dismiss you if you have, you know, nothing showing up in your blood, which I guess I can see their point because they are, you know, busy and you know, you, what is the, um, the, the expression that you like look for hoof prints before you look for zebras or whatever, um, that they obviously would be, you know, saying, you know, it's probably nothing to do with autoimmune or whatever. There's, you know, nothing in your blood, but of course I ended up being one of the like 5% of people who have an ANA, uh, that goes back and forth between positive and negative, And one of the people that Um, showed symptoms before I actually had it in my blood. In 2010, I was put on um, auto, I was put on immunosuppressants, I'm sorry. And those actually enabled me 
to live my life a lot better, I was able to then go to Amsterdam where I pursued a second master's degree and then um, to England where I pursued my PhD and I finished that. And now my life is, I wouldn't say it's, you know, all all fairies and sunshine because I found an an immunosuppressant that works um, because now I deal with interstitial cystitis, which is possibly related to lupus. We don't know, but it's, uh, for me, it presents as, you know, chronic bladder infections, chronic kidney infections, um, and having surgery on my bladder every so often and just having pain in my bladder. Um, and that tends to come and go with different medications. So I just actually upped my, uh, one of the medications yesterday and I've been sleeping quite a lot since then. So I was worried I might not be able to, (laughs) to string a sentence together to have a conversation with you today as it is with a lot of these, you know, disorders. So yeah, that's my, my background. Um, my grandfather actually, interestingly enough, had lupus, um, but he, his was a reaction to a medication that he was taking. Um, I don't know, he died when I was nine. So I haven't obviously been able to have a, have a discussion with him about what medication exactly made him have lupus, why they decided not to take him off that medication and treat him, treat his lupus instead and all those things. And I don't know that my dad knows all that much either. Um, and then oddly enough, my grandmother on my mother's side always had issues with her bladder, with reoccurring bladder infections. And my mom recently told me that when she was young, her dad used to take her to some kind of springs in I want to say like Georgia or Tennessee that was supposed to be like magical and was supposed to like help your, uh, all your ailments and things like that. And so she would go in into that, uh, as a little girl, cause she'd had problems with that, um, her, her whole life starting as a child. So I just inherited everything crappy from my grandparents. <laughs> so that's so brutal. That's so frustrating too, because it just sounds like you have so much going for you with a PhD and you went and you traveled the world and got an education. That's awesome. Especially with an, like autoimmune diseases are awful. <laughs> you, yes. know, you can have such a great day, two or three days that are super, super great. And then you're, you're out for the count for like a whole week and you're just, yep. <laughs> definitely. But, you know, and it's like what you said too, where it's like doctors say, oh, it's just this, or it's just that. And, and you have to think back and, to yourself and say like, well, it's not just this. It's a big deal. Yeah. I remember, um, I've had so many doctors say, Oh, it's just this, 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 you're fine. Like this and that, whatever. It's not a big deal or it's just Crohn's disease or it's just blah, blah, blah. And you know, I actually just talked about on a podcast just recently about how nobody can tell you it's just anything or it's just pain or it's just this, or, you know, because they're not living your life. And I can only imagine like kudos to you for being able to go back to school that many times and finishing and <laughs> and and seriously like high five through the internet because like that's amazing. And yeah. and and you pulled through with an autoimmune let alone lupus too. It's incredibly hard on your body having having yeah. any type of autoimmune disease, but definitely yeah, that's What was the hardest thing when you were diagnosed or before like to this day that you had to go through? I think the hardest thing is being misunderstood. Um, Now that I'm in my 30s, I don't feel like I'm misunderstood as much as I was in my 20s. And I think it's because people are getting older. My friends are getting older. Um, Not that 30s is old, but people are, you know, getting older where they have more life experience and more people they know have different diseases and people, you know, their parents might be getting older and getting sicker and 
they may have experienced, you know, something um, in their own life themselves, or they have a friend who's experienced something. So I think people are more understanding now, but I think when you get lupus when you're young, um, which, I mean, it mostly does happen to women who are in their childbearing years. So that can be, you know, anywhere from like 12 to mid forties. But if you happen to have it, you know, when you're in your teens or early twenties, I think it's difficult because people just, they don't get it. And um, it's very much like, well, we're all tired or you're just upset because your boyfriend dumped you or you're just this or you're just that. I don't really understand why you're okay this time. And then you're not okay this time. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And um, it's hard to justify yourself because I think people think that you're faking a lot of times or that you're, it's some kind of psychological disorder that you're, you know, exaggerating or whatever. Um, so I found, I think in, I think in the beginning too, some of my family members would think like I've had conversations with them where they thought that I was, um, you know, not going to things because I just didn't want to, or that it was like convenient or, um, that I would, I've had family members also believe that I just picked them to to not go to their events and I'd go to other people's events and I just, you know, only, I just don't want to hang out with them. Um, and so that, I think that's hard because I think I am a, an extroverted person and I like to be social and actually did theater growing up, which I can't do anymore um, because of the lupus. And um, yeah, it is, it's, it's difficult. I think that is probably the hardest thing. It's just having people understand that you're like, this is real. Um, yeah. But I think it's just the longer I lived with it, the longer my friends are used to it. And the new friends that I've met are people who also maybe have something wrong with them too, or something wrong with them. I think people are a little understanding as you get older. I think it's just very hard when you're young and diagnosed. I totally agree with you. I think that it has something to do with the fact that, oh, you're so young, like there yeah. can't be anything wrong with you sort of thing. You know, you have yeah. a young body, you have a so much ahead of you, your whole life ahead of you. And, and I, I'm right there with you. And I like my, my family, my friends, same thing. Like I was misdiagnosed for years because of autoimmune and, and it's so hard. It's so hard because you lose friends and you know, same thing. My grandmother, she's like, she doesn't like to go see me because she just sits in her bedroom all the time when you come visit. And it's like, well, it's because I was in pain. Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't see you. Exactly. exactly. It's just, it's, it's, it's so frustrating. And how do you explain Definitely. that to someone? You can't, you know, yeah. you just, especially when you have no diagnosis, sorry to talk over you, but I oh, just mean sure. like no, no, when you have no diagnosis, it's like, well, so you're just doing this because of what, of nothing, you know? A hundred percent. And then you're like, no, I'm not faking this. And it's so hard to just like, there's the, like chronic pain is a terrible thing because you can't see it, especially with an autoimmune disease where you can't see it. And it's the invisible disease part, the invisible pain part that people are like, oh no, you're fine. Just shrug exactly. it off. Like, you know, take some Tylenol. It'll be fine. You're like, yeah, okay, fine. Tylenol yeah. is nothing. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's not even just hard. It's frustrating. Like it, yeah. it causes anger. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, what's the best thing that came from all of this? Um, I think that my friendships are more genuine than maybe they would be otherwise. Um, and I've learned there have been people that I've had to cut out of my life because they're not um, understanding, not very many, but there have been people. So I think that this has allowed me to have more genuine friendships. And also I think it's allowed me to make career choices that I may not have made if I didn't have lupus. I didn't really know if I didn't have lupus, what kind of career I would have. 
and what I would be doing. I think maybe it would be something similar, but maybe I'd be working full-time at a university or doing something like that. That would be, but I don't know if I would necessarily like that as much. And maybe I, I don't know if I would be scared to try to do something more freelance or, or what. Um, I can't really say, but I feel like it's, it's forced me to, to be more creative, I guess, in, in employment and things like that. So that's pretty awesome though, because I find that with autoimmune, one of the biggest things is it, it really has like, you're forced to slow down. Yeah. And, um, and that's kind of the running theme that I'm finding with people with these autoimmune diseases and especially with chronic pain and that sort of thing, that it's just all of a sudden you, you're, you're forced to slow down and, and really think about, okay, well, what can I do Mm-hmm. either business-wise or personally or whatever it is in order to live a really healthy, good life with this disease because the disease, unfortunately, is just not going away. Yeah, but definitely. When we were talking earlier, you, it sounded like you have such an interesting, interesting job. I mean, it's um, more, well, not, not a job, a career, and it's it's really exciting that you're still pursuing something that's a passion of yours and that's really exciting for you, even though you might have some setbacks of this disease. It's like you're, you're making sure that you're always in control of the disease as opposed to the disease controlling your life sort of thing. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I don't know if that's 100%, you know, always the reality, but <laughs> like I'd like that. to think so, yeah. <laughs> it's that, you know what I say, it's that 80-20 rule. It's like if 80% of the time you're good to go, at least 20% of the time you're allowed to just like slack off and just do whatever exactly. and, and have a calm day or whatever it is, so... <laughs> Exactly. So if you could go back in time and tell Mm -hmm. your younger self something, what would it be? Oh gosh. You mean like my younger self after I started to display symptoms or just my younger self in general? I don't know that I'd want to tell myself anything before I had (laughs) symptoms because I did also struggle quite a bit before I had lupus with depression and like eating disorders. So I don't know that I'd want to tell myself that I would be... (laughs) lupus um fair (laughs) because I think that would be a little bit too much for like a 15 year old me um but I think after I started to display symptoms and in my early 20s I really worried a lot about being and this is something I I have started doing YouTube videos and this is a video that I do want to make but it's been difficult because of my pain where in my relationships, I just, in my romantic relationships, I just felt very unlovable. And I always gravitated towards these terrible relationships because I thought, well, you know, I have to accept that this person is like, you know, a terrible human being. Well, not all of them, but, you know, a couple of them are just like terrible human beings because I have lupus and I bring nothing to the table and and I just have to accept that. And I think a lot of people with chronic illnesses have said that they have felt that way. And I would like to be able to tell myself that you're going to find somebody that is going to be an awesome person, or he already existed, but he's an awesome person and that he's going to be able to, um, you know, put up with this illness and he's going to love you despite the fact that you have this illness and he's not going to make you feel like you have to make up for it in some way. So yeah, I think that would help motivate me to move forward because that was something I always worried about. That's such a hard thing too, because that type of mentality, it's almost like you're thinking that the disease defines who you are as opposed to exactly it's, it's just there. It's not really like, it's a part of you. Yeah, that's fine. But it doesn't mean that you're not, not a lovable human being. It doesn't mean that as people with autoimmune, it doesn't mean that we're not fun. We're not 
it's not like we just stay at home and, and not do anything. And, and, you know, it's, it's actually kind right. of interesting. I, I kind of come back to this quite often because one of my previous podcasts with um, Shauna, she mentioned mm-hmm. to me, you know, you have to go back to when you were a baby, like a, just a newborn baby and people just loved you for just being there, being who you are and that sort of thing. And I think that especially with having chronic disease, chronic illness, especially chronic pain, it's, you know, you kind of forget that and, yeah. and you get really nervous about the fact that, oh, well, maybe when I tell them that they have like Crohn's disease for me, it's like, well, that's a really hard disease too. And, and, and you're mm-hmm. right. It's like really like good days and bad days, but sometimes there are more bad days than good. And it's really, really, really hard for yourself. But finding that other person that's super understanding towards it and that wants to help you and that loves you for who you are and that understands that, okay, this is, this disease is either going to, you know, it's going to come and go throughout the time that we're together. But it's like for us with autoimmune, it's like, we have to remember that people love us for just being who we are. Yeah. And sometimes when we have this disease, it's like, no, like it's, it's so hard to remember that sometimes. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I hope you, I hope you found that uh, special someone. Yeah, I have. And that's why I actually live in England. That's why I've stayed here. So I started my PhD in 2012 and I met him in 2013 and I finished my PhD 2017, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it all blends together now. I think it's 2017, yeah. but yeah. So I just stayed on in England uh, to, to be with him. So. Oh, that's exciting. Well, I'm really happy for yeah. you. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank and you. England must be a pretty fun place to live too. I'd love to go there. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, with my, with my chronic pain in my bladder, it has really limited my life to be honest. And it is like very back and forth, but it is, yeah, it's a nice place to live and it has its pluses compared to America, but I know this isn't a political podcast, so I won't go <laughs> to all of that. Yeah. And it's really cool to be able to travel to Europe and, you know, do all these things relatively cheaply. Because growing up, I used to think like, oh, I'd love to go to Rome or I'd love to go to, you know, Paris or these other places. And um, when we go to, I was talking to you a little bit before about the fact that I go to like Holocaust sites with students. And when we go with them, we actually go just for a day. We go early in the morning and come back in the evening. Um, So to think that I would be going to Germany for just, you know, 12 hours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, because like back then going to Germany was just like, you know, such a um a you know a pipe thing. dream. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. So yeah, so it's uh, really cool. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah, I'd love to go. My dad's been to London before and he just loved it because he's he's a big beer guy and uh he's oh, like, yeah. it was so amazing. I went for a 10k walk and I stopped at all the little pubs and I'm like, sweet, how drunk did you get? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think cool. somebody did um there's like a local hospice that a lot of people uh support here and they did something where it was like a 5k walk, but like every 1k or something they would stop and have a beer and I was just like oh my gosh that's like the most British like fundraiser I've ever heard that's so funny oh that's so cool yeah definitely on my bucket list for sure yeah you should definitely come I've actually never been to Canada which is crazy 
Oh, really? Oh, it's lovely <laughs> here. I, although I, I live in a really, I live in a really small town of like 3,600 people. So like I live right in, right in the middle of the Canadian Rockies. And so the, okay. the scenery is super beautiful, but some of the people here are a little bit crazy, but that's okay. I guess you get that in any small town, <laughs> especially yeah, with this I think coronavirus happening. <laughs> odd. Yeah. I think that's the world over. Yeah. I actually did a job, mm-hmm. um, I worked at a summer camp once that was like a international summer camp and there were lots of people from Canada there. So I have like some friends that live in Canada, but I've just never, nice. never visited. So it's on my, on my bucket list, as you said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just so funny because Canada is massive in comparison to like, like England, London is quite small in compare, or like England is quite small in comparison. Like it takes you oh, yeah. six days to get from one end of Canada to the other. <laughs> yeah. What have you found that has helped you the most up to now with your lupus and, and every, like all the other things that come with it? And are you looking at doing anything more drastic or elaborate in the future, like any surgery or retreats or anything like that? Um, for now, I think just being on azathioprine or it's called, it's called Imurian in America. I don't know if that's the same thing in Canada. Um, but yeah, we, yeah. we have Imurian here. Okay. Yeah. So I take that and I think that's been really, really helpful um, so I'm not really planning on anything else with my lupus because that has seemed to be under control. It's just more about um, my interstitial cystitis. And with that, I really don't know. Um, I've been juggling with medication. I was supposed to have, um, not really a surgery, more like a procedure where I was going to be not put fully under, but like kind of like a twilight. And that was supposed to be, I think on the first of April or something. And I was supposed to help with the pain. It was like a new thing that I'd never done. And obviously with coronavirus, they canceled it because they don't want people in there that don't need to be in the hospital, which I understand, but it's still frustrating. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, and I think my pain has been more intense because I've been really stressed out about coronavirus. Um, so I have gone up on some of my medication. I did that yesterday and that's made me a bit crazy. Um, I've been sleeping quite a lot after that. So I don't really know what Ford, you know, it's kind of blind right now because of with coronavirus and it is a twofold thing because I, in one regard, I don't want to go to the doctor if I don't have to, because I don't want to catch Corona, but at the same time, I want to have a plan for, for, for feeling like this because it is doubly difficult to be worried about world events and to be to have this constant pain so we'll see yeah a hundred percent and I think that you know it's crazy because everybody is dealing with the stress of the coronavirus right now but it's almost like doctors and the medical teams and everything are just putting all these people with chronic disease and chronic illness on the back burner even though you know we're the ones that need help the most. Like I woke up this morning and I couldn't move my left arm. It's like, okay, I need to go to the hospital and get a, a steroid shot. But you right. know, you call them and they're like, no, no, no. Like if you can just deal with it, just stay at home. And then I called my family doctor and I'm like, can I get some pain medication? Cause I can't go to the hospital to get my steroid shot for this. And they're like, oh, well, we only have one doctor here right now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's it. I'm, I'm just going to suffer at home in by myself. It's fine. <laughs> it's awful. It's yeah. awful. And I mean, like, I understand that like, I mean, nobody, well, they saw this coming, obviously, but they didn't prepare for it. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I get it. It's not the fault of the people who are working in, you know, the clinics and things like that. It's the fault of the overhaul, you know, the overarching people who Mm -hmm. who run these, these things. 
but yeah, it does feel like we're being shoved to the side. And in America, um, some other people I know with lupus have had their medication taken away from them because they've been using it um, for coronavirus patients. As I don't know if they, it's been. Oh my God. Proven. Did you hear about this? Yeah, I heard. I thought it was a medication for. Um, I thought it was for what is it called? Not the measles, but something else. But yes, I've I've heard about that. Yeah, it's a I didn't it's realize malarial. Malaria. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Thank you. Yeah. So I didn't realize that people with lupus were getting their medications taken away, though. That's, that's yeah. Awful. So some people in California and, and maybe some other places. I don't know. So I'm from California originally, um, and I know some people there had gotten letters saying we're taking you off your hydroxychloroquine. Thank you for your service to helping coronavirus patients, even though it's not like they didn't consent to it. Um, So hydroxychloroquine, I mean, it helps control flares. Like I don't think anyone's going to die not taking it because Mm -hmm. there are stronger medications, but the whole, like they, they showed a, uh, someone showed a picture of the letter that they got and they said, you can use these other medications in place of it. And the other medications are like, immunosuppressant, um, chemotherapy, all the stuff. And we're like, but you take hydroxychloroquine, so you don't have to take those medications. So it was Mm -hmm. very, and even a friend of mine who's a nurse, she saw it and she was like, they're actually telling you to take methotrexate in, um, you know, in lieu of taking hydroxychloroquine. And she's like, I can't believe that. That's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's gotten sorted out or what, um, haven't really heard anything else. And there was some like, whisper that it might happen here, but I haven't had any issues getting mine filled. So I don't know. That's unreal. It's just unreal that they can just, so like make a decision of that patient. Like, cause the point is, is that patient, you know, okay, you, you're taking that medication. That's fine. But how are you going to prove that that patient has been giving it to somebody else? Like, right. Exactly. And, And the thing is, like I, I a hundred percent understand how it is when you take a medication and it's working for you. Other mm-hmm. medications might not work like that. Exactly. You know, I've taken methotrexate before. It's awful. I hate methotrexate. Yeah. Like, and, and the fact that they're just going to take away these medications for what, for, because they're scared that we're going to be giving it to, oh my God, that just drives me up the wall. I don't know. Yeah. I have my own opinion about American politics. I'm sure they're probably very similar to yours, but yeah, you know, I think that yeah. there's just so many, so many bad things that are happening in the United States right now. It's just definitely fortunate. I would agree. Did you want to talk a little bit about like your lupus or your disease or how it's uh, like affecting you or, or about like the, the complications with it at all? And like maybe bring a little bit more awareness towards what lupus kind of is. Yeah, so I can just kind of explain lupus really quickly. Um, lupus is an autoimmune disorder where you're, um, and in any autoimmune disorder, your body mistakes um, actual uh, healthy tissue or healthy cells for an invader cell. So your body is constantly fighting itself the way that your body would be if you were ill in any other capacity. So if you get a virus, your body is <clears throat> goes on high alert to fight the virus. So and you feel like shit because of the virus, part of it is because your body's on high alert and you might feel, you know, achy muscles, achy joints, um, fever, um, fatigue, that sort of thing. A lot of that is in, um, is in response to your body fighting a virus. So when you have lupus, you have all those things all of the time because your body doesn't understand that, uh, you know, your healthy cells are actually healthy cells. 
So with lupus, um, so some most autoimmune diseases are characterized. They're characterized as different diseases because it um, affects different sort of uh, parts of your body. So with lupus, um, it affects mostly joints. Um, that's like the biggest thing that affects. And so you have arth- most people, no, everyone with lupus has arthritis, but it's not necessarily the arthritis that breaks down um, breaks down your bones. It's more just like swelling around uh, your joints, but some people could have rheumatoid arthritis as well. Um, and a lot of people also have involvement with their skin. So they'll have rashes um, on their face or on their body. And lupus is also characterized um, by a rash that's called a malar rash or a butterfly rash, um, which is around your cheeks and nose. And it looks like a butterfly. And it, um, if you touch it, it feels a bit different to um, the other areas of your skin. Like it's not smooth. So lupus, obviously you, you feel like you have the flu or um, something like that most of the time, at least that's how it presented for me. I felt like I had the flu almost all the time. Um, but when your lupus gets more serious, if it takes a turn for the worse, um, it will attack parts of your body, like your vital organs, or it could attack your non-vital organs as well. So for me, because I have problems with my bladder, it's kind of unknown. The doctors, so I see a urologist and I see a rheumatologist for lupus and they talk to each other a little bit. And the kind of conclusion is I don't really know what's, you know, what's causing it. So it could be that lupus is attacking my bladder and it could not be. So yeah, your lupus can attack um, non-vital organs like your bladder, but it can also attack vital organs like your kidneys and your heart, uh, your brain. And that's when people end up uh, unfortunately passing away from lupus. Um, But luckily in the past, I don't know, like 30, 40 years, they have had major, um, like major breakthroughs, I guess, with medicine and people are living a normal, uh, normal length of life with lupus. Now it used to be that if you were diagnosed with lupus, that you were, um, projected to die within five years. But I think that that's also has to do with the fact that they were only diagnosing people who had like really serious lupus, um, or was maybe already attacking their organs. Um, and they didn't necessarily recognize people like myself who had, who were sick all the time. They'd say that you have like rheumatism or rheumatic fever or something like that. Um, and then also, you know, we have better detection methods and we have better medicine now to control it. So it is, you know, not a death sentence anymore and you can live, you know, depending on your lupus, you can have a a really great life and sometimes, you know, you're going to feel like crap and sometimes you don't. So (laughs) that's really what it is. Yeah. It's that whole good day, bad day kind of lifestyle that you live, especially, I think that's with any Mm -hmm. autoimmune. It's just so frustrating because you'll be totally fine one day. And then two days later, it's like, boom, you're not good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I just, it's so frustrating. You're like, can, can I just be happy and like fine for like a week, please? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So you've had it for, it sounds like what, 11, 11 years ago you were diagnosed or maybe 10 years ago? I was diagnosed in 2010, so that would have been 10 years ago. And um, I started displaying symptoms when I was 20, so that would have been 2004. Yeah, 2004. Yeah. Yeah. So how come, like, you know, were you just misdiagnosed for six years or they just couldn't pinpoint it because you were just missing that one main symptom that they just couldn't see it in your blood sort of thing? Um, so at first I was misdiagnosed because they, I think all they did was somebody just took an ANA test, which doesn't really tell you very much. And so they said, oh no, you don't have lupus. You just have 
chronic fatigue syndrome. So I was told over and over again, I had chronic fatigue syndrome and I just accepted it until it started. I started to have more advanced symptoms like um, joint pain. It didn't really start with joint pain. It was more just chronic fatigue. Um, and then I started to develop joint pain and rashes and things like that. And I kept saying, you know, I think this is more than chronic fatigue syndrome because of all this other pain that I'm feeling. And I had a, a physician look at me without taking any blood. And she said, yo, you have fibromyalgia. And I was like, I don't think that I have that. So I never really took that on board. <laughs> um, and then I had somebody else a couple of weeks later take blood and they said, oh, okay, well, you have mixed connective tissue disease because I had some markers, but not all of them. And then I wasn't diagnosed until I got really, really sick. Um, I got so ill. I was living away from my parents and my mom actually had to like come and be with me because I couldn't even like get up to wash the, um, wash the sheets or anything. And I had a dog who I couldn't bathe or anything like that. Like I was taking him out to go to the bathroom, but that's it. And so I couldn't really do anything. And he smelled like crap and <laughs> she's hadn't been changed in like a month and everything like that. So she came up with me and kind of like helped me. And then we went to uh, the doctor a series of times in New York city, the hospital for special surgery. And, um, I was diagnosed with lupus then, and I was put on a course of infusion therapy for a bit at at that hospital. And then I started taking the Imuran and I saw some improvement, but yeah. That's crazy. It's so frustrating that, you know, I know how you feel because I was sent to so many different specialists and so many, I was actually sent to a couple, three different psychiatrists because I was so sick. It was making me sick to my stomach and my doctor thought I was bulimic. And I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely making this up in my head for sure. Oh gosh. <laughs> but it's just like, it's so frustrating for years. It's not just a couple of months or a few days. It's like years you're being misdiagnosed and you don't know what's wrong. And it's that unanswered questions. It's just, you know, and it's not, not to say that it's the doctor's fault. I mean, ignorance is one thing, or maybe they just, you know, because if you don't have all the classic symptoms, it's easy to just, you know, not necessarily forget about it or think that you're right or whatever it is. It's just, I think there's just so many autoimmune and so many symptoms nowadays that it's just so hard to pinpoint exactly what something is. And I think that's why, you know, the more stories that we have out there and the more that we understand the more that we can really say okay so you have this and this and this and this and it's just it'll be easier maybe hopefully in the future to get diagnosed hopefully. with something you know yeah yeah I hope so yeah yeah I think a lot of people too in history have been misdiagnosed with lupus and there's a um there are a lot of people that think that you know different people in history have lupus and I'm sure it might be the same with Crohn's and I know it's the same with autism that they say that these people have it and there's no like concrete proof, but they do think that um, Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women, had lupus, and they think that Beethoven had lupus and things like that. And of course, it's just based on things that they've written and some of the symptoms that they displayed. But of course, back then, obviously, they had something wrong with them. But back then, it was like rheumatic fever or whatever. But I mean, back then, of course, there's not really much they could have done anyway. But it is interesting. Yeah. I, I agree. And and it's just, you know, the medical advancements that we've had over the last, even call it the last 60 years, it's just crazy. Oh, yeah. And, you know, hopefully that it just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. You know, so that people don't have to suffer for, I actually just spoke to someone and she, she, she suffered for 16 years before they finally diagnosed her with something. 
and it was just really frustrating yeah well what the frustrating thing was was she kept telling her doctors no it's this it's this it's this and they never tested her for that until 16 years later isn't that crazy it's ridiculous yeah so it's like why does why does that stuff happen why were you misdiagnosed why was I misdiagnosed and it's just it's just so frustrating (laughs) this it definitely is so could you give our listeners any more information or a bit of advice for their struggles I would say that if you don't have a diagnosis yet to keep pushing forward for one. Um, And also that, you know, I think you can find joy in some of these moments and you can find, you know, you can live a good life. You can live a happy life with these diseases, but it's not easy, but I don't think life is easy for anyone. So I think this is just a different struggle that we have to, to bear. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't know if that sounds stupid, but I mean, I just, I think that we can still live a happy life. It just depends on, you know, how, how we frame it in our minds and how we, um, how we move forward. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't have times where you feel sorry for yourself. I don't know. That sounds really stupid. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. I think you're so right because it, like I said, it's like that 80-20 rule. If 80% of the yeah. time you're good, you try to be positive, you try to be the best person that you can, even if you are sick, and that 20% where you're like, that's it. I'm going to sit in bed and watch Grey's Anatomy all day today because I hate having a disease. Big deal. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. You give yourself time to be sad. You give yourself time to be angry because, you know, the one thing with our diseases is we've, we have to go through grief Definitely. for it. You know, we lose our health. We lose... And same with thing with, uh, you know, when you get those flare ups, like today, like I'm kind of annoyed with the fact that I woke up this morning and I couldn't move my left arm. It's like, okay, like I was doing so good. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. I hope you feel better soon. That's terrible. Thank you. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's just, yeah, comes and goes, you know, as you know, of course. Yeah. But so that's really crappy. Well, Anna, thank you so much for your time and your advice. Um, How can our listeners get in touch with you? Um, you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter, which is at Anna Scanlon. And I'm also doing a YouTube channel where I am talking about chronic illness. It is very slow. I don't have a schedule yet because I'm really not able to make a schedule because of my pain. Um, but you can find me at the Anna in Wonderland um, is my name on YouTube. Awesome. Perfect. Well, we'll put all the links to all of your um, contact information, everything with the podcast as well. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. Perfect. All right, ladies and gentlemen, our lovely listeners, that's all for this episode. We are out like a light.